0: If everyone is just trying to agree on what's best about the culture, it can be a very unifying experience that leaves people energized and in some cases surprised. There can be hidden strengths that the CEO had no idea about before you go into a process.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintained, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. During this podcast, Peter Fallon, the founder and CEO of Values Culture, an organizational culture doctor, shares his experience developing corporate culture and building his reputation in the field. Phelan explains that he uses his creativity to help organizations build and maintain strong, healthy cultures. Peter has an interesting story, which I'm sure has been a driving force in his success. And success leaves clues. What do you say we get to the show so you can hear it for yourself? So, you ready to rock? I am. All Thanks, right. Adam. So, uh,
0: Peter, failing? Well, I do prefer feeling. Uh, uh, that's the way the family has pronounced it for a few centuries. And of course, the other versions maybe aren't so positive. Uh, phelan sounds like not succeeding. And then the other one I get is felon, which oh, is geez. even worse, a convict. <laughs> All right, that's good.
1: It must be a, a fun conversation, Pete. <laughs> Yeah, feeling is good. Good stuff. Well, Peter, thank you for making today happen. We're going to have some fun. Uh, I'm excited to share your story. Uh, I'm excited to just edify the audience about who you are. Uh, what you do and, you know, what's put you in the position you are today. Uh, Can you
0: edify us and just give us a quick synopsis? Sure. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, the the nutshell version is I'm an organizational culture doctor, uh, which is a profession I think I created myself. (laughs) Um, You know, behind that is uh, an education back in my homeland of Ireland in business and, and management. And then working in house in HR for for 20 years. Uh, So, uh, yeah, uh, that was the the background. And then I got to kind of uh, design this job that was my favorite parts of being an HR leader. And uh, that is a culture doctor. I guess we'll talk more in detail in a minute. Yeah, where did the name "Culture Doctor" come from? So I had a good friend of mine, um, a stand-up comedy friend, uh, which could be another thread for us, <laughs> and Heidi, and she was an amazing stand-up, and by day was a management consultant. And how she would describe her uh, profession, her day job was a doctor for businesses. And that always just resonated with me as a really nice way to put that. And uh, the kind of doctoring I do is for the organizational's culture. So I'm just a bit more specific. I'm a culture doctor. Mm. What does that entail? So um, the main use cases I've done would be kind of much as a doctor would do, you know, diagnostics. Um, so first of all, before you can see if you need to fix anything, um, is to study a culture. And it's interesting that, you know, uh, many organizations can be around for a while um, and maybe even get to be quite large without ever really studying their culture in a scientific way. Um, so I was lucky enough uh, to be entrusted with that kind of studying the culture when I was in house as a chief people officer, and um, I developed some kind of tools and uh, discipline around it. And then I built and built on that uh, when I went uh, out on my own as a as a culture doctor. And um, Started using um, more and more tools uh, to, you know, really get to the truth of a culture um, in a way that, in my experience, um, I hadn't seen many companies doing. So I want to talk about your entrepreneurial
1: endeavors in a little bit. But right now, tell me about how you get under the hood of an organization. Like, how how do these companies feel comfortable to own? Like, hey, we got a problem. You know, like, like, is it something that you've kind of got to sell? To tell them like, hey, you might have a problem, or do they already identify this? They realize there's an issue, and they need to find somebody that can, you know, pinpoint it and then come up with a corrective action.
0: That's an interesting question. Usually, um, the cultures that are kind of in most trouble, and that can be measured by, you know, you might see a tip of the iceberg by horrible glass door reviews. You know, it's like two point something out of five, and then then that's if they're kind of reflective enough to do. An internal engagement survey and if it's kind of the same you know 50 percent uh, out of 100 or whatever those typically aren't my clients and um, because they don't care enough about it maybe or just aren't tuned into it enough to invest in engaging a consultant and uh, where i've had most traction is companies who um want who are trying to go from good to great um, so maybe they're, you know, people are happy, they've got high retention rates, company's successful, and um, everyone's kind of winning, uh, but then maybe they get a round of funding and they need to kind of tell their story with a megaphone um, to get more hires in, uh, to really take it to the next level, but they don't know what their story is. Um, so I've definitely come in to try and uh, capture the secret sauce and kind of put it into words. Um, So that's one kind of happy use case where they're just – they they know they got something good going on, uh, but they've never kind of codified their secret sauce. The other one is um, maybe it's the same company or the same type of company who's kind of had that growth, and they've gone from 100 to 200, and they've seen the culture slip a little. They aren't – like that disastrous 2.5 on the last door I mentioned earlier, but maybe they've gone from a 4 to a 3.6 and the internal survey data is also trending a little bit downwards and um, so and they care about the culture so they're like Peter what's going on um, so that's the two most common use cases are kind of capturing the thus far never defined culture and um, or uh, intervening if there's a little slippage in an otherwise good culture. The, the really disastrous ones tend not to call me. <laughs> and then and then speaking of calling you, who is it
1: that's calling you? Is it the VCs, you know, the people, the investors that are like, wow, we, you know, we put a lot of money here. It's so important. We get this right because they know how important a culture is. Is it the chief people officers themselves or are the chief people officers sometimes... I don't don't know if defensive is the right word or protective because they feel like it could be slip on them when it's necessarily not their fault. But who is it that ultimately, you know, reaches out to you?
0: So I have had all three of those. I think the most common is the CEO um, or the COO sometimes. Um, But yeah, somebody who's internal uh, but isn't the head of people. And because, you know, the head of people can be a bit too close to it you know the culture's their baby if we need outside help does that mean i've done something wrong um so often the first point of contact is that maybe the the chief people officer's boss but the happy ending is I tend to work really well with chief people officers. Once they kind of get over the the hump of maybe feeling a bit self-conscious, I come in, put them at ease, say, hey, you know, I do this a lot. Um, you know, you've been a chief people officer for years. I want to um up until you know 2016 and i wouldn't have been confident doing a culture study in 2013 or whatever um you know and i was already a decade and a half into my career so you know i happen to do this a lot with a lot of companies and i've established some expertise and tools and tricks that nobody would expect you to have um let me help
1: so you're essentially putting them at ease saying listen i'm not a threat you you know as the cpo you know, you're there to run air traffic control and not necessarily be an expert in every single thing. This is your area of expertise. Let me stay in my lane. Let me help you. Let me support you. And then let me move on.
0: Exactly. You know, and leave you hopefully better off for the engagement. Yeah. Wow. So how rewarding is what you do? It's awesome. Uh, you know, I think that there's lots of... um Kind of lifestyle rewards, which I didn't necessarily know I would appreciate as much as I do. Um, meaning that, you know, since I've stopped being a, a, a serial monogamous uh, W2 employee, um, I've had a lot more freedom in my life to see more of my uh, lovely children and wife, uh, to travel more, to own my schedule more. Um so that's been, you know, uh, indirectly super rewarding. Like here I am in Hoboken chatting with Adam. You know, that wouldn't be the typical days work on a W2. Then that sort of uh, one-hopper moved, but on the direct rewarding. Um it's it's delightful. Um I really enjoy the process of Um, helping people get to know the truth of their culture. And it's the way my approach is kind of a non-threatening way, and not just with the chief people officer, if if that's my main client, which normally it is, uh, but also in the way the whole engagement is set up. Uh, We're looking for a strengths uh, kind of based approach. Um, So if I use one of my favorite tools, uh, a competency model uh, with 38 competencies, um, if, and say we're looking to make sure your values are accurately stated uh, so people can be rallying around things they really believe in. And we're gathering a lot of data around the these these values and, and, and we use the competency model and, you know, get a lot of data, not just from the executive team, but from other stakeholders as well. And we're looking to... Um, Focus on the strengths. So nobody, no company, no individual is amazing at all 38 competencies in a competency model. But if you get to distill down um, what five most people in the organization feel really good about the company being strong at, then that's where we're going to put our our attention. We may unearth at number 38 in your ranking. Hey, you might want to work on that. It's definitely not a value. It could be a weakness. Um, but if everyone is just trying to agree on what's best about the culture, it could be a very unifying experience that leaves people energized and in some cases surprised. There can be hidden strengths that the CEO had no idea about before you go into a process. Well, wow. so your reputation is sterling. You know, you came
1: highly recommended through me, and then it, as we've gotten to talk here, you know, uh, we know a bunch of other people in kind, and then there have been situations, you know, over the past couple months, that I've said, oh, you know, I need to introduce you to Peter, and everyone's like, oh, I know Peter. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, qu- reputation is amazing. So, thank you. But but listen, it is what it is. But how have you built such a great reputation? Because, and again, this, pardon my own ignorance. How do you quantify what you do? Like, I think that that's really hard to quantify culture unless there is something that, that you could do. Or is it just like, hey, company's moving in the right direction. We feel good. You've done a great job.
0: That kind of word of mouth, um, you know, is is very validating and helpful. And on valuesculture.com, my website, I've certainly captured some of those testimonials in writing um, where, you know, something as hard to quantify as culture Um, does get a lift uh, by um, my coming in, facilitating a process where they get to know what their secret sauce actually is. And then maybe there are quantifiable outcomes like ease of hiring, um, perhaps winning Best Place to Work awards, um, uh, business success. You know, it's like, you know, people are just more engaged and they're doing better work and revenue is up. So there's some outcomes that can be measurable um, maybe the business success is a uh, multi-factor, but winning a best place to work award can be a very specific um, outcome that's trackable back to my work.
1: Yeah. I would think that the metrics on that would be good too, because then it probably increases the, um, I'm sure there's a retention thing that you can measure. There's probably a recruiting metric where, Hey, you know, the, the time to hire is quicker after yeah. you win things yeah. like that. Yeah. So those are things that I guess are quantifiable that you can then come back to your clients and say, here's what we did. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so you talked about secret sauce with these companies. You know what? What would you attribute your secret sauce to?
0: You were very kind to say uh, good things about my reputation. I think my own approach has been also to play to my strengths. Um, you mentioned the chief people officer. Oh, I remember those days <laughs> of uh, you know. Um, Really wearing like 30 different hats when you think about it. Um, There's so many different dimensions to um, being a head of HR. And uh, when I was in-house, I felt really amazing. Like I was having, experiencing flow in, you know, 10 to 15% of that. And then I was um, enjoying um, and feeling pretty competent and, you know, uh, as good as I needed to be in maybe another uh 60% and then there was that quarter of my job which was drudgery and I couldn't claim to be world class at it because it just was not my thing so you know I think um you can boost your reputation maybe in any career by um as much as you can um customizing your um, your scope um, and kind of in, with job changes or uh, whatever avenue you might have I had to go out my own completely to do it uh, quickly but um, I'm sure you can do it in house as well where you play to your strengths and you let everyone know what you really want to be doing which I would recommend to any careerist and you know tell people your passions even if you aren't doing that thing yet if you really want to do it um, let the world know because then they'll,
1: they'll know to help you mm. It's so funny that you say that. So my wife uh, was just sharing with me a conversation she had with someone that worked, you know, for her a few years ago in a different company. And she said that this gal was always hardworking and uh, really good at what she did, but just didn't take it to the next level. And my wife had just reconnected with her after I think almost uh, about a decade. And she said that this gal has just so far superseded her. Now she's crushing it. I don't want to say her name or anything, but Mm -hmm. she said, so my wife said, well, you know, what happened? And she said, well, I just actually kind of tapped in to I started sharing, I really identified what it is that I was really good at, what my passion was. And then I started sharing that with people. So exactly what you were just saying. And, uh, I mean, she's a perfect case in point the, the timing of that conversation. Yeah. just couldn't have been yeah. Any, yeah. any more serendipitous <laughs> than, than right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's the biggest challenge in, in what you do, whether it's as a business owner in terms of whether it's getting new business or handling the operations of your business, or maybe even just the biggest challenge, of you know an engagement that you might have you know with a company whether it's you know fighting people that just don't want to change because people don't like to change (laughs) Uh, or whatever it is
0: yeah um you know i think because i've been lucky enough to be able to carve out this uh niche and there's a couple of related things that i do in addition to the culture studies Um, Can can you share? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, So I guess it's niches. Um, So sometimes an organization will have a really good, healthy culture, um, and, you know, they're getting the, it's it's almost like uh, a little bit like my last uh, chief people officer gig of any significance. I was there for four years at this company called MediaMath. And our our problem wasn't that we didn't have necessarily a good sense of our culture because we'd studied it quite judiciously, and um, but it was maybe that um, the world didn't know, and so you know I had this uh, board meeting with a uh, um you know, a little bit of tension in the air because uh, I was told Peter you know this is two thousand early two thousand thirteen, and um, so not everybody was looking at Glassdoor back then ten years ago. And but uh nonetheless, uh, a board member commented, "You got a three point two on glassdoor. that's like less than average, and you claim to have this great culture and I was like, hmm, actually, I think we can fix that and so I you know was able to tell them that we'd done a survey monkey. This is the years before Culture ramp or any of the great tools uh, you have now for measuring your culture and But we did a quick uh you know survey monkey, and about eighty nine or ninety percent of the team would recommend working at MediaMath. So I was able to, you know, uh, uh gently ask the team who are quite data nerds um to fix this data error on last door, you know, tell our story. We don't want to look to be any better than we um should look. Um, you know, we want it to be true, but we definitely don't like that there's such a discrepancy between the internal truth, which was pretty solid data, like 80% response rate from the employees, whereas, you know, Glassdoor is like one random review here or there, not really uh, statistically significant. Um, And the team did step up. And within a year we had uh, the number six spot um, in the country on the best wow. places to work list so about that first uh, that was a for, good yeah. it was a good turnaround and then we stayed there and um, you know and this was I'm telling it in a roundabout way but that became like the second product a, a healthy culture that isn't getting its credit uh, publicly and um, internally people are loving it but nobody knows and um, so that became like an employer branding product where you know I didn't necessarily have to do anything remedial with the culture culture because it was great, uh, but had to find a way to inspire um, employee ambassadorship so people would take the 10 minutes uh, to tell the story, which can be, you know, a tricky thing to do when people, even if they're happy, they're busy, they're engaged, you know, to ask them to do a a dash story review, whatever, uh, became um, a product, uh, kind of this art uh, and science to it. Um, So that's product number two, you know, employer branding work, and then product number three, after maybe a short-term engagement um sometimes there is a need for a heavy hitter to continue the work so this i didn't do any of this for the first year and a half but um one client who's been amazing i'd use that used me for a culture definition project they used me for uh, an hr road mapping project kind of uh mapping out the the tactics uh, for the next 18 months on how they build out the team with scale and what they focus on and invest in for the team's uh, benefit. And then um, they also (laughs) did an employer branding project, so a great customer. Then the fourth engagement was, hey, Peter, we need a head of people um who because our current one is retiring can you find us um somebody who's gonna you know just really take this uh, baby and keep it moving and then that you know year and a half into the culture doctoring that became an important um you know revenue stream is is placing um heads of people
1: so so your three offerings culture doctor are coming in helping change cultures turn them around or just improve them elevate them uh number two is more of like a PR, like the branding. Hey, you've turned this around. Now let's make sure people know yep. about this culture, right? Like yep, this is yep. important. And then the third offering is a uh, you know is a talent offering, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's executive search yeah.
0: for for people and talent. You know, head of head of people, head of talent acquisition. So you asked about challenges. Yeah. Um, so because I've got these these different things uh, going on. Um, which all are kind of in that uh, 10 or 15 percent of my old chief people officer job that I love the most. Um, I uh, don't run into too many real headaches doing these things I love, even if the clients, you know, are a little bit tricky. I don't know. It's even hard to identify tricky clients because normally the ones who are going to be, you know, slow to change or whatever, um, they self-select out. They don't end up Working with the culture doctor, uh, you know, the the sort of growth mindset is almost guaranteed if they sign the contract that it's going to be a somewhat uh, productive experience. Um, so, yeah, there'll be, you know, prospective pers- clients who don't end up signing the contract, who self-select out, who thought that maybe they'd want to work with the culture doctor and weren't put off by the name, uh, but, you know, didn't want to do the work or whatever um so that doesn't end up really being a headache because i never work with them you know but i think the, the challenge, not to make sure, not to present this as all, you know, rainbows and rosy, sure. the first the first two years, I was definitely making less revenue mm-hmm. than I had as an in-house executive. And um, so if somebody does want to, you know, follow the path of of really pursuing their favorite little bit or bits of their job or maybe, you know, do a totally different job, um, I would definitely recommend saving a little bit before you do so and maybe trying to keep your overhead costs uh, low. So if, thought, if you're going to do that, might not be the perfect time to, you know, buy that lake house or, uh, you know, um, some other significant expense. Um, you know, I, I'd say definitely plan for a lean-ish 18 to 24 months um, because I was lucky. You know, everyone was talking about culture uh, back in 2016 when I made the leap and I even had some warm leads uh, before I did make the leap. And so, you know, not every um, moment is as fertile as the one I was lucky enough to move into. Illustratively, the economy in 2023 is a different environment. I wonder if I would have had the courage to make that leap, you know, now. Uh, It certainly would have been harder. I mean, listen, sometimes
1: you got to take a step back to move two steps forward. And uh, to your point about not sure if it's the time to go or start a business, I liken starting a business to having a baby you know, it's, you're never prepared, right?
0: Right. Like that's, never, that's true. <laughs> you
1: know, So what has been, walk me through that, you know, like, like starting a business is hard, right? And it's been, this was your first time, right? This is not yeah. your, you know, there's so many things to think about. What was the, what gave you the courage, I guess, to do it? Was it, you know, cause some people say, oh, you know, I just had to do it and just jump. Or some people felt like, well, I felt, you know, these golden handcuffs really, it wasn't about courage. It was just Breaking free from a golden handcuffs. I, I don't know if you're yeah. anywhere in between, or
0: yeah, it could be a bit of both. You know, I was not thoroughly enjoying um, these portions of my job, and it wasn't as if there was a an individual contributor, you know, version of my role where I could just carve out the uh, the fifty percent I loved, and you know, somebody else, some other executive would take care of the rest. So there was definitely a a, a desire um, to you know, just do things I loved and not be spending time away from my family doing things I hated, you know, just to kind of keep the thing of the show afloat. I would say the, the courage, I've been kind of naturally optimistic, I think, all my life, you know, I took the the leap of coming to the States um, with no real work experience, but a good Irish education under my belt. Uh, I, was, I was lucky enough to get a lottery green card. I've always felt kind of lucky. Um, and I guess if you feel lucky, you are lucky. As I've heard that said. I guess I had seen other consultants as a head of people who were doing things they loved. Um, it could be somebody coming in to do you know, presentation skills training or various management skills training or other um, other consultants, and I always thought that was cool. And they were typically impressive people who had their niche, and they were really world class at it. And they were good communicators and good kind of account managers with our uh, you know internal stakeholders. And so that always seemed kind of admirable to me. Um, so that you know um, was was an interesting role model. And then the courage piece again. I guess um, the market seems to be interested. You know, I was being asked to speak at um, HR conferences about, say, the success story of MediaMath kind of winning all these best places to work awards um, or, you know, um, and that was happening more and more often. So I thought, okay, this this could be a thing. Um, there's certainly a difference between, you know, giving a, a non. Where um, were
1: these coming from? How did they find you? Was this, were these relationships you had or like, you know, yeah. how were you discovered?
0: So the initial speaking engagements, I guess, uh, some of them were actually from good old Glassdoor uh, because they, you know, do, you um, they they like to get uh, their their best places to work winners out there, uh, talking about you know how they did it, um, which of course is good for their product sure. uh, as well, good for sales. Um, so I was asked to speak at a couple of those initially. And then, then I kind of became a little bit known and got some kind of surprise in bounds. I still don't even know where some of them came from. Others were easier to explain. And so, you know, my last couple of companies had investors and, and they, so they were, that's where I was asked by the VCs to speak to other smaller portfolio companies. Gotcha. How important has LinkedIn been for you? You've got like 30,000 I have maxed it out. Yes. 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 Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it's been amazing you yeah. know I, I you use it that's uh, uh, yeah it's my um my app that's open all day yeah. you know um I, I might come in and out of other things but yeah kind of like my teenagers one of them is a little bit too fond of TikTok the other's always on Snapchat but for me it's LinkedIn that's yeah. my my thing I was um first invited when it was a relatively new product you know I guess I had maybe a little bit of a name outside of my day job because um, I, I tried my hand at making employee benefits uh, humorous, if you can believe it, Adam. Um, I was, uh, you know, uh, doing my HR thing, and just like the the dryness of employee benefits communications was getting to me. And I was getting employee benefit news um every month on my desk um so I pinged the editor uh, this is like back in I don't know two thousand and six or something, and I said, "Hey, um, can I write you a column and um, that might actually make a benefits topic funny and engaging?" and I didn't you know say I was going to charge you anything, but uh, so they i I submitted one, and she was awesome. she printed it um And then it was so well-received, it became a monthly column uh, where I was uh, paid, you know, a dollar a word for 500 words every month, which was great, especially in 2006 – Somebody who would read one of these columns um, uh, pinged me on LinkedIn. So that was the, my, my first LinkedIn content, I guess was two thousand six, and then it really kind of took off from there. And yeah, now I've maxed it out. It's been um, a real, a real godsend to my in-house, you know, recruiting efforts um, for sure. Um, and then even more so. And uh, now that I've been out on my own for the last seven years. Right how are you managing all the I mean, again getting back to just the
1: people that we know in kind you know they they don't just know you but they seem to know you pretty well what have you done to be able to maintain these relationships is there is there a certain outreach that you have just to check in with them is it seeing people at conferences and then spending extra time going either before or after to talk with them like what is it that you're doing and what advice do you have for other people when it comes to the
0: importance of these kinds of relationships, well, I know you're the networking guru, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll offer a few ideas, but uh, and experiences, but I, I don't know if they're the best practices that you would advocate, because cause I would always like to do more than I can do. Um, but yeah, I think uh, COVID was challenging, but certainly uh, before um, you know the the shutdown, and and since you know more recently when things have been opening up again, I've definitely seized any opportunity I have that presents itself to kind of be around people and um, who are interested in the things um, I'm interested in. We were talking uh, earlier today about the Propeller uh, Festival in in Hoboken, and um, so basically anything that's uh, startupy or or, you know, human capital or culture-related, I will make an effort uh, to, you know, to be there. I'll I'll be going to uh, transform, uh, formerly known as HR Transform, in Vegas in March. Looking forward to that. Uh, So showing up has been important at bigger things. And then um, organizing smaller uh, events as well um, is, is key. So coming up in February, I have a Disrupt HR event that I, I co-organize uh, with some some friends. And um, so Disrupt HR is this really cool uh, format where uh, somebody uh, has to speak for five minutes on a topic. That's a progressive thought leadership type thing, not a sales pitch, um, on something to do with human capital. And um, they have... 20 auto advancing slides every 15 seconds one moves forward so you have to time your talk quite well Uh, so it's exactly five minutes and so it's it's a lot of fun and the audience tends to get a lot out of it and the event in new york next month will probably have somewhere between 150 180 people there We'll have eight people doing the um, uh, the the challenging task with the twenty slides over five minutes. That doesn't sound easy. It's not. I've done it, um, and that's another way. You know, on the networking side, there's organizing and there's mingling and there's showing up at conferences, but also just reminding people that you're alive and you're and you're doing stuff. So I've been on the disrupt HR stage in uh, New York, in Long Island, in Westchester. And of course, I promote the heck out of us um, on uh, LinkedIn, my favorite social media. Um, so that kind of remind people you're alive. And if they're kind enough to, you know, like it, comment or whatever, I'm very appreciative. And maybe I'll have a sidebar conversation with them to catch up. But yeah, I think it's a combination of organizing events, attending events, and then putting stuff out there, sharing. So, so it
1: sounds to me like you're saying proximity, you know, proximity is power, right? If, you know, being front
0: and center. So you don't get forgotten about. Yes. Know? Yes. You, you try, try and stay top of mind. So if you're like, oh, we have a culture problem. Who would help with that? I kind of want people to not have forgotten that the culture doctor exists. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, I also try and be a, a generous networker. Um, so it, it's definitely a, a give and take. Um, I you know, thank uh, anybody who's helped me uh, with connections or whatever. Pretty judiciously, I like to think, apologies if anyone listening, uh, I've, I forgot to thank you for you. Um, but yeah, just showing appreciation, um, asking if I can help them in any way. Um, and yeah, so I definitely, um, I'm, I'm a fan of that. So it sounds to me like, first of all, show up.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Secondly, you know, again, proximity being out there, add value and just
0: do the little things like following up and showing appreciation, some gratitude. Yeah. And when you can, you know, um, help people uh, without necessarily expecting anything in return. And that'll that'll build some goodwill out there that might find its way back to you one day or maybe it doesn't. But, um, you know, I think um, a good reputation is hard to build or maintain. Um, if you aren't doing a, some material giving along the way, uh, in some way, shape or form. It's great that you
1: say that. It reminds me, there's a gentleman that was on my show, Brandon Steiner, amazing guy. His story is awesome. But, but there's, a, you know, I had asked him, what, what is, you know, building relationships and networking mean to you? And he said, it's a long story, but the punchline is that he lives by a motto of doing as much as you can for as many people as you can as often as you can without expecting anything in return. Exactly what you just said. And, uh, you know, that that motto, uh, that way of living has uh, paid tremendous dividends for him throughout yeah. the course of his life where you know again similar to where he's at a point where you know business and, and and goodness just comes to him in in droves um not necessarily as easy early you know when you're doing right. those things but um you know karma does have a way of finding itself yeah you know, coming, coming yeah, back yeah. You. He, he
0: sounds like he's taking it to the you know post-doctorish uh, <laughs> level i'm still a work in progress um but I aspire to be as kind of a generous, a giver first um, as as that uh, that guy is.
1: So most people don't realize, you know, that just, again, getting back, it does come back to you. A lot of people get so stuck in the, you know, the whole Eisenhower principle, you know, uh, you know what is it saying? A busy versus important. Mm-hmm. That which is, you know, typically busy is not important and that which is important isn't busy. Something to that effect. Yep. You know, the point is a lot of times people get stuck in the, in the hamster wheel of, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this. And they're so mono-focused on just a job or doing one thing, and they're they're missing the picture, the bigger picture, you know, of, of building their social capital, you yep. know, which is going to come back to them, you know, like we just talked about in 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 droves. Um, who? Any people in particular that have had a big impact on your
0: success? So yeah, I think so. I am. Um, pardon me being a little bit mushy, and um, I will uh, mention two uh, folks from my kind of early twenties. Um, or maybe I can go back a little bit further. My mother was a bit of a, a portfolio career person, um, meaning you know she didn't just have the one oh. job. She was a an X ray tech; that was her, her most official job, um, but she was also a freelance writer. And, you know, just seeing what she did and getting published and getting paid for this these various Irish publications or having her stuff read on the radio by really well known hosts and stuff, I was like, wow, you know, um one person among millions can have a voice. And also, you know, you can have multiple kind of revenue streams. So she was definitely an inspiration. Um, a funny thing about her is that she was actually a ghost writer for a very famous Irish priest. Um, uh, there was the no uh, amazing separation of church and state back in Ireland growing up. There was actually a priest who would come on at the end of the you know, broadcasting in the evening at like 11.30 or whatever before the RTE, Radio Telefizion, uh, went off the air for the night and would offer a prayer at bedtime. Um, but I guess it's hard for a priest to come up with a new prayer at bedtime or kind of thoughtful, spiritual uh, idea um, every day. So my my mother was actually the ghostwriter for one of the most successful priests at this thing. I won't name any names. you got to maintain the ghostwriter thing. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she showed me that you could... Uh, do multiple things. And now fast forward to the 20s. And when I was 23, I was lucky enough to, you know, come to New York and get an interesting job immediately. And it was in the HR domain, of course. Uh, Chemical Bank had just uh, purchased Chase Bank and decided to keep the, uh, the cooler name Chemical was always kind of weird, but they needed uh, some, you know, consultants to help with the merging of benefit plans, programs, policies, and I got to work on that, and uh, I was 23, uh, one of the bosses um, on the client side went out on parental leave, and so I was elevated to being a supervisor and stuff, managing people, you know, who were in their 30s and 40s, it was this really really amazing uh, opportunity for a young person um and but one of the folks one of the colleagues was like Peter always remember you're 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 more than this and um, you are more than this job I thought I was you know uh really really kind of rocking um and but still you know she took that time out her name was Anna awesome person uh to just say hey maybe you are rocking it or whatever uh, but you know it's it's not you your Peter is far bigger than this thing and I thought that was super cool. It's great. Advice. And remembered it ever since. And remembered, um, mm-hmm. to you know continue sharing my interest outside of work, which was beneficial. Two years later, uh, when another colleague at a new job called Megan and said, "Hey, Peter, you're interested in writing." I'd mentioned it to her at some point. Um, check this out. And it was a little brochure for a uh, adult's learning offering at uh, the Old Stuyvesant High School and um ended up being a really good class and it's where I met my wife Ooh. um so that's maybe the best bit of advice I ever got was like hey check out this brochure writing fan uh because uh that one sentence had such a huge impact on my life and uh, now you know a couple of teenagers uh and uh you know 20 happy years of, ma- of marriage later uh still very uh appreciative of Megan. And you know, it's consistent with the idea of you're you're more than just your 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 day job. That's a great takeaway.
1: I got two more questions here as we as we look to wrap up. Things that people can learn from you. Do you have any habits, you know, that that are golden habits that also have contributed to your success? That's my first question. And then well let's start there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you know I, I think that um having some kind of creative pursuit uh, in your life, and I'm not 100% consistent at this, so I'm still a work in progress. Um, But I think that is important if you do wanna find your niche, and that you should always be tinkering with something creatively. I'd mentioned the stand-up thing earlier, um, so I'm, I'm doing stand-up again now. I've got a, so a new talent showcase show in, in, uh, in a few weeks at Gotham. Wish me luck. Nice. Uh, thank you. Um, but, um, you know, just that, uh, idea of having a, a separate space where you're kind of putting your brain a little bit to work, uh, firing up some neurons you don't fire up every day, you know, or that I might not fire up if I'm doing an executive search project or a culture project, even though I love those. And the idea of, you know, just doing something completely different, I think is very good for the brain and, um... It also helps to do creative work when it's relevant to your day job. So I, like like many people, I had some time on my hands in Q2 of 2020. A lot of my work dried up overnight. Thankfully, it didn't go to zero, but it was still quiet. And so I started writing articles for HR publications, ERE and TE. L-N-T, then that helped me kind of um, tell my story uh, in new ways that I hadn't thought about before. Um, It helped me offer some value uh, to, you know, uh, maybe companies who are individuals who wanted to maybe take a crack at defining their culture, um, but didn't have the resources to pay a consultant. Um, So, yeah, I'd say... Um, there's a lot to be said for having some uh, creative, of course, you also get to meet your amazing wife. Uh, but I think that, uh, yeah, having some creative uh, side, uh, where you, you know, even if you're in a job, you're happy or you've carved out one that you're happy like I have, never stop um, taking a step out of that and flexing new muscles. Great, 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 great. And my last question, how do you decide,
1: so, you know, given who you are, what, you know, all the people that you know, you get probably lots of introductions, you know, or people reaching out all the time. How do you decide who you're going to spend time with? What is it that you're looking for in someone? Is it, how do you decide? Did, did you understand the question yeah. or it's like, yeah. is it's, it's, it's an open, it's a loaded question.
0: Yeah. You know, I think there's um, something to be said for how we met. You know, it was a, uh, a warm, uh, double opt-in uh, introductory uh, situation. Love that. Can you explain the
1: double opt-in, by the way, because that's so important and most people miss that.
0: So, you know, our situation was that our mutual friend um, was, you know, kind enough to mention us, uh, you know, to, to one another um, as a potential contact. Um, didn't say, Hey, you know, on, un, un, uh, unsolicited or unwarned Peter meet Adam. It was a case of, Hey, uh, Peter, uh, this guy, Adam is pretty cool. Um, here's what he does. Uh, Uber networker podcasts, um, you know, really smart guy. um, I think you guys could, you know, have a mutual benefit situation there. And then I don't know quite how he uh, teed me up for you, um, but maybe something similar. And um, it's like, yeah, okay, that that does sound like a a win-win situation. I'd love to speak with Adam. And then and only then, you know, with both parties on board and kind of intrigued, um, did You know, did the connection happen? And so, I mean, I think that's a good guide that there should be some potential, you know, hopefully mutual benefit. I do like to give, so it doesn't always have to be. Um, But I guess the most appealing um, introductions are, you know, brokered by a thoughtful uh, third party who knows both people. Um, that's not to say I, you know, I won't respond, uh, favorably to an occasional kind of blind inbound if I'm like, wow, what they're doing is really interesting and, oh, we do have some share connections, you know, might have been nice to be introduced by a share connection, but what the, Hey, um, she looks amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll respond.
1: Yeah. Great. I'd like to first try, should have led with an introduction, thanking Camille <laughs> <Bourgeois> <laughs> for that introduction because he's fantastic and. Camille is awesome, um, yeah, I can't say enough of, of about him, but i I, I want to talk a little bit more about that double opt in because I think that's so important and so often missed, so same thing, you know again, he told me um you know, just how wonderful you are, just felt that you and I were very aligned in the way that we view people and connections and things of that nature. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about, you know, again, getting that warm introduction. Number one, coming through a highly valued channel. So, mm-hmm. so you know, that's the social proof, right? He's already validated you. And, and we both were, got the opportunity to work off something called borrowed trust, mm-hmm. right? We both had this trust in Camille. So, uh, and a lot of times people, you know, I like the fact that it, he checked in with both of us as opposed to putting us on the spot. How many times has someone just sent an email? Hey, you know, Peter, talk to this person. And and you're like, well, great. Why? What about, what's the value? Mm -hmm. How can I help? So there's so much time, extra time that goes into this. And, you know, maybe, you know, like I know for myself, people have done that to me and out of courtesy to the person that's referred them, I'll do it begrudgingly almost because I'm just going to honor the the relationship, but then I've got to then follow up with them. How, what am I, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of time. That gets wasted if they don't do the double opt-in or maybe you know listen maybe you're on a project or you're traveling or you know then you got to go back and forth scheduling so there's so much that goes into the the double opt-in and and what's also really good for those of you who are going to make an introduction when you make the introduction do the double opt-in but i also recommend highlighting how you know the the reason behind the introduction and how you think the other person could benefit or what your thought was in making that introduction or maybe even saying something like hey you know uh, adam and by the way ask peter about how his stand up is going you know giving some kind of again like lubricant if you will to get the conversation going little yeah. things like that make a huge difference all
0: so important yeah
1: in in just the tone of the conversation how quickly you can get deeper Um, so, so I I appreciate you bringing that double opt-in, um, up. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. So Peter, I got to tell you, man, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Obviously I've enjoyed getting to know you. I love what you're doing. Love your story. Um, you know, major theme around creativity. I'm sure that plays a big part into how you're developing culture. Uh, I love your entrepreneurial journey. Love the way you're building relationships, i.e. the the double opt-in. Um, getting yourself out there and again just again being creative adding value and just giving so thank you so much for making today happen coming out to Hoboken and and, uh, being on the show thanks
0: Adam it was a great pleasure I'm so glad we uh, were connected so kudos to Camille (laughs) kudos to Camille I love that (laughs) cheers for now
1: Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.